0: KYW News Radio original podcasts from KYW News Radio 103.9 FM. This is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Scott Smith, and this episode of Flashpoint focuses heavily on the protests that have been happening in Cuba.
1: The Cuban people want freedom. They want freedom to choose their own government.
0: Our newsmaker this week spent her early formative years in Cuba, but came to the United States, and she talks to us about the culture shock of the amount of freedom that she found here in the U.S.
1: I was so excited because I could have ice cream. I could buy ice cream because we didn't have that luxury in Cuba.
0: Plus, we also have our Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Young men of color. Seem to understand and they appreciate it the things that I was able to teach them. That's all coming up on this special episode of Flashpoint on KYW News Radio. Welcome to Flashpoint. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and this week's episode is focusing on the protests that have been happening in Cuba. Now, one of the biggest questions has been what has led to these protests? There's a lot of misinformation or confusion out there. And for this panel we decided that rather than just offer a bunch of conjecture that we go right to people who understand it. This week's panel welcomes in Lucy Bustamante, the morning anchor on NBC 10. Lucy is a first generation Cuban American. We also welcome in Dr. Amalia Dashe, an associate professor of higher education at the University of Pennsylvania. Now Amalia is also Afro-Cuban, was born on the island and was once a refugee. And we are also joined by Dennis Solis. He is a Cuban rapper, an artist, and he has recently spent eight months in prison down in Cuba for his protesting. He also was released from prison the day the protest began on July 11th. We also get an assist from Leanne Russell, who is a filmmaker who will also serve as Dennis's interpreter. We wanted to make sure that this panel hit from all angles and told the story of Cubans and Cuban Americans. In their voice and not just ours. Dennis, what has your experience been like on the island dealing with the Cuban government? And tell us a little about what led to you being in prison.
2: It's about to deal with animals because they ain't have concept
0: of humanity. You said it dealing with like criticism because Cuba is a country that is by and large a dictatorship and it does censor so much of expression decree 349 among other things made such things as independent art in the country illegal and Dennis is a Dennis is a rapper he's a performer he's an artist he he does so many things there and Dennis that was part of what led to you being detained being incarcerated
2: they arrest me because I fronted against that official who got into my into my house with no permission he's a, a no, respect to the official, to the authority. That's why I was in the jail. In English, that would be the disrespect of authority. It was an official that entered his home to arrest him. And then they ended up taking him for disrespect of authority.
0: And that's a country in Cuba where, and as we've seen in places such as China, such as Russia, disrespect of officials can lead to that sort of thing. It doesn't seem right here in this country where people from the government could just storm your home and take you in just for what you say. But unfortunately, this is what's going on in Cuba. Now, Dennis was released on the day the protest started on July 11th. Dennis, when you got out of prison, what was it like to come out and see those protests?
2: It felt like of a natural. That day confirmed that issue to the Cuban matter. The number 11 made history in Cuba.
0: Amalia, um, how much of his story is similar to yours and so many others? It doesn't get told much because of a lot of the, their ability to cutting off the media, any of those things like the Internet, for example, there. So I was
1: born in a very marginalized um, housing area of Cuba. Uh, I think sometimes in the U.S. you can compare it to like what the projects are, but you would share bathrooms. You had lots of the little rooms like hostels. Uh, my father was a political prisoner, so he was a dissident. He was a political dissident of this regime, and he um, was constantly arrested. So what Dennis is describing is something that my mom, my father, my brothers and I witnessed on a very frequent basis. We had these things called CDRs, which are communities com- uh, committees that are in the neighborhood that surveil all the people. So if A family of yours is against the the dictatorship. They watch you and they follow you. And my father would constantly be put in in jail. That is what I experienced, you know, knowing that my family was constantly threatened by by the police because of my father's um, political beliefs, which were he wanted freedom and wanted liberty to to practice his religion, to to practice Afro-Cuban religions, which is really part of the culture um, of Cuban people you know, coming from the colonial period. So, yeah, we we were a part of the Mariel Boatlift and we were refugees in the 1980s. Um, and we, you know, the, the Peruvian embassy was stormed in the 1980 by Cubans um, knocking down the gates in the Peruvian embassy. And it was flooded by Cuban people who wanted to leave the island because of so much of the repression and censorship. And Cuban people were told to throw rocks at us. These were called actos de repudio. And call us worms. So can you imagine you and your family holding the hands of your young children and being, you know, basically abused publicly because the government says you have to treat these people like they are scum of the earth because they don't want to be in this government. Predominantly it was Cubans who were seen as the bottom of the the caste system of Cuba, which were Cubans of color, Cubans who were queer, Cubans who were artists, and Cubans who were put in prisons for their political
0: beliefs. Lucy, your experience in this country is your first generation American born. Mm -hmm. The stories you've heard from your family, for example, and just the experience of having because you still had family on the island. What is that like from the Cuban-American perspective of someone born here and kind of finding out the history as you get older?
3: I was born in a different generation altogether. My brother and my sister were four and nine years old when they left the island. My mother and my sister and my brother came without him, uh, with a couple of other aunts and cousins in 1969. And my father didn't see his children for four years. That's because he was in a Cuban prison for four years. He eventually got out, came to the States. I grew up in New Orleans. The generations of migration are all tied as if we were all born in one same space because the political trauma is so intense. You've either lived it or you've inherited it. And, you know, from my sibling stories, they grew up in a completely different way than I did. I grew up extremely privileged, middle-class society. I didn't transition from one country to another, but I can tell you that the inherited trauma is so severe. What you witness, you know, the pain and you know, the privilege that we have in this country of being able to speak this way. And it's almost like you owe it to your ancestors to speak for them and to create spaces conversation like this and it had a very direct impact jay as to why i became um the, the the why i chose the profession i chose and freedom of speech is worth more than any piece of any article any possession you may have where we make the mistake jay is that when my group speaks for amalia's group and when we try to speak for dennis instead of giving dennis the space and um, Leanne being the mouthpiece for all of these political prisoners of this generation. And so I'll leave it with this because I don't want to take up their space. But when the Obama administration, uh, December 19, 2014, when they participated in lifting a piece of the social media um, blockade, there's an entire generation of my cousins that now know what we have and how we live because of Facebook and Instagram. And they know that there's better which is why the Cuban government shuts down the internet. They don't want people to know outside of the island what it's like. So in there lies the power of influence. You want to talk about influencers? You want to talk about social media influencers? This is the influence that they are seeing, that they know better. And also just the the trading of information that's happened through the years. But I would love to know from you, Amalia, from you, Dennis, Um, How is this protest different this time around from what we have seen?
1: Based on my research and based on understanding the history of political dissidents in Cuba, is that these protests started in marginal communities across the island, right? We started with San Antonio de los Baños, one of the most, most marginalized communities in Cuba. And then it spread across the whole island, thanks to social media, for about 45 minutes As soon as San Antonio Baños actually erupts, it's documented, and then it begins to spread. The news begins to spread across 62 locales on the Cuban island. This is historic. This has never happened in the history of Cuba. What else makes it different? It's led by the youth, right? So there is this push of doing something unimaginable that is part of their generations this is the generations voice there is connections to the past but also there is a different connection that's coming from these neighborhoods and i was doing research in ferguson of the student the the activists and also the student activism that came out of ferguson in 2014 it started in this black working class community that was marginalized that had dealt with historic repression when it comes to issues of racial segregation that is evident now more than ever with July 11 and with these protests coming from these marginal neighborhoods. So I see a connection with geography, locale, and um, the generation.
0: Dennis, what do you have to say about the importance of how social media has helped get this message
2: out? So social media is one of the most important tools that there is to connect the country, to connect with other countries. It's also able to save
0: lives. Well, Amalia, you've been to Ferguson, and a lot of what you described there mirrors what is Black Lives Matter here in the United States. Now, you, I, and Dennis all have one thing in common. We are clearly dark-skinned. Clearly, Black, I'm African-American, but we understand what this is about. Let's just keep it real. As these protests started, some of the founders of Black Lives Matter here in this country put out a very problematic statement. It's made a lot of people, a lot of Cuban-Americans, a lot of people throughout the Latin diaspora, really, in this country, very upset. The statement referenced the embargoes, and it appeared to have kind of they, they said in one manner they support what's going on on the island, but also blaming the embargoes that have gone on between the well-known embargoes between the United States and, and, uh, and Cuba. Why was that statement so problematic, and what is it that they missed here? Because the two movements couldn't be more similar, to be honest. What we saw in Cuba on July 11th is what we've seen in the United States especially last year, but for decades before that?
1: Black Lives Matter is missing. And what many organizations and activists and scholars and the public that is tied to these ideas of what revolution is supposed to look like for Black people. Cuba is always seen as a model, right? Cuba has been seen as a model as far as like, well, look, this is what Marxism, this is what Leninism could look like for racial justice, And so Black Lives Matter, and many of the um, scholars who have come out in support of um, this group called Let Cuba Live, which is like radical left scholars who are, you know, trying to make this focus of the embargo and U.S. imperialism actually be the center point of conversation. And so it's coming off of these ideas of like, well, well, what does a revolution look like for Black people in the world? And Cuba could be that model because it's anti-capitalist. Right. So that is what the focus is on, right? This kind of international struggle of Black liberation and its myths that it's tied to Cuba, that Cuba is a result of um, a Black liberatory state. However, if you look at the facts, if you look at the history, if you center the lives of Afro Cubans, they will tell a different story that's beyond ideology, that's beyond theory, that's beyond what people in the United States that have the privilege of a democratic system say about what revolution is, right? So that is what Black Lives Matter is missing. It's missing, it's centering on Afro-Cubans who have been on the street, who have been protesting, who have been making signs with very little resources that say, abajo la dictadura, means down with the dictatorship, down with communism in Cuba. We don't want this system anymore. It's tone death to what they want, and it focuses on again this larger ideological um, kind of support for what liberation is supposed to look like. Instead of actually looking at what the youth and what Afro Cubans and what Cubans across racial lines are saying, this is our this is our change. This is what we want. We want a different government. We don't. We don't want to have to have a government that has to even engage in being sanctioned because we want a government that acknowledges the human condition, the human dignity of our people. And our government does not do that. It does not value the lives of the humans on the island, which is why they've been sanctioned for, for, for over 50 years. The, the embargo has everything to do with Cuba's inhumane treatment and violence towards Afro-Cubans and, and Cubans of all racial lines, genders, and classes for 50 years. And so that is what it's missing. It's missing looking at the data and looking at the history, looking at the experiences of the youth that are out, the thousands that came out on July 11th, and San Isidro, looking at the role of San Isidro since 2018, looking at the role of las damas de blanco, the women in white, since the early 2000s, looking at Guillermo and Coco Farinas, you know, who engaged in 23 hunger strikes, right? It's, it's not looking at the history of Carlos Moore and Juan Bitan Cort, who were in the 60s, Black political prisoners under Fidel, who were in exile. It's missing 60 years of Black history. That's what it's missing.
0: I know that 88% of people who have been detained in Cuban prisons, are Afro-Cuban. It's similar in a lot of ways, unfortunately, to how a majority of the incarcerated here in the United States are African American or black or brown. And Lucy, I know you have a slightly different perspective when it comes to race in Cuba, as you you mentioned mm-hmm. being, being Cuban American. You, right. you grew up more middle class. Had, yes. I, we'll, again, let's keep it real. You're you're yeah. a lot more fair skinned than the three sure. of here, but. And I yep, know sure, that's sure. a part of what is a caste system of sorts, whether it's that's Cuba, right. it's just like the caste system in India and other places around the world. From <laughs> your perspective, <laughs> as a Cuban American, what is that like for you?
3: You know, it's interesting, the duality of the world that I grew up in. I grew up in South Louisiana, right? Like, it's not like a Miami Cuban where you grew up within your own community, Um I was definitely like, Oh, you're not Italian. You know, you look Italian. And then I would explain why I spoke Spanish and I told them the story. Oh, I know a couple other Cubans, you know, it was that kind of thing. And, um, and it was, you know, I had a very different experience Jay than, than my Miami counterparts than my own brother and sister that showed up here, not speaking a lick of English, um, literally off of an Eastern airlines airplane. Um, I was, I was like the, the bridge, the bridge in between the Cuban world and the white world, um, between my friends and my family. And, um, and my, you know, my, my friends ended up, you know, kissing hello and goodbye and picking up a lot of the cultural things about, you know, my Cuban household when they would visit and they would love the warmth and they would love the food and they would, you know, but being a white Cuban definitely made it more of an approachable I was more approachable to my white friends, um, to have these conversations, to be that bridge, to say, well, wait a second, you know, I've heard, I've heard it both. Oh my gosh, they're white Cubans. I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, they have black Cubans. I didn't know that. And so we're constantly teaching, right? We're always teaching the population around us about what it is to come from a Cuban family or to be, um, cuban-american and so i, I use that to, to educate about the pain because what communism does especially in the form of dictatorship it's not the it's not the <laughs> it's a great equalizer but in the most negative form um when you cover health care for all for example and amalia you are a researcher i am a jack of all trades i know enough about a lot of things to be dangerous, but you're a researcher. So I'm going to punt this to you. When we were talking about healthcare for all, yes, absolutely. People should have access to a doctor no matter what, Um, no matter what you make. it's It's a civil, it's a human right that we should be able to get care no matter what. But when Americans make the comparison of universal health care, and they'll use Cuba as a as an example of, well, they have universal health care there, or they everyone's educated in Cuba. They should put that here. I'll let Amalia explain why it doesn't jive. Um, and also the statement of when you have people that visit the island, they say, oh, I want to go before the Americans and capitalism ruins it. And that's painful to hear because if you talk to a Cuban like Dennis Solis, it's already bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it gets-